something happened during the Super Bowl that got a lot of Christians knickers in a twist, as our British cousins would say across the pond. Maybe you noticed. Did you see the He Gets Us ad during the Super Bowl? I, I did. What did you think? Was it an incomplete gospel, as many people have said? Was it anti-biblical? Was it, was it anti-Jesus? Was it making fun of conservative Christians? Was it cultural coddling? Did it give you the heebie-jeebies, as one podcaster said? Folks, today I want you to look at that ad from a completely different perspective. If you're, if you're a Christian, my primary goal is neither to change your view nor to support your opinion. My primary goal is to change your focus. This is the God is the Issue podcast with Brad Bright, where we talk about how God is the issue in every issue. Now, folks, I don't know much about the people behind the He Gets Us ad campaign, but they sure kicked over a hornet's nest. Frankly, the ad made me extremely uncomfortable. But here's the bottom line for me. I think that if the goal of the ad was to help drive conversation among young Americans about who is Jesus, then I think it was pure genius with a side of loony. But before we go there, let's talk about this. How did the pictures in the ad make you feel? Did you react negatively to any of them? Did you feel like you were being judged unfairly? I did. I emotionally recoiled at the picture of a priest wearing, wearing a cross while washing the feet of a shameless gay man sporting makeup. However, you know, I also remember that Jesus reached out to hated tax collectors and prostitutes and Samaritans. He even told a story about a good Samaritan. Now, on his day, that image was beyond salacious. If you were a religious Jew, you, were, you would go, <gasps> you would gasp. Folks, but the other picture I really winced at was the picture portraying pro-life protesters, pro-life activists as unloving. I felt like it was a cheap shot, even though I think I understand why they used the picture. I mean, they used it because that's how many Americans perceive pro-lifers. Now, let me give you, for instance, of that from my own experience. I remember being at an event in Hollywood a few years ago, and I was talking with this young lady that, that, that evening, and we began talking about abortion. I, I said, well, I'm pro-life, and let me explain why. She clearly was not. But after a few minutes, she said, oh. You're one of those compassionate pro-lifers. You see, what she was implying is that she didn't regard most pro-lifers as compassionate. So I understand why they made the ad the way they did. They're trying to engage with young woman, one young woman like that woman I was chatting with that evening who believed that pro-lifers don't care about women in crisis pregnancies. However, it still seems extremely unfair to me because I was once one of those unwanted kids. And folks, I am so grateful for the pro-life protesters who keep the issue before the American people, just like the abolitionists kept the issue of slavery before the American people 150 years ago. Did the abolitionists make people mad? You bet they did. Did they come across to many Southerners as uncaring? Oh, yeah, they did. But did they allow the issue to be swept under the carpet? No. And folks, I know there are a lot of black folks in this country today who are extremely grateful to the Christian abolitionists who kept the pressure on the system. And may I say that even though I'm not black, I'm grateful too. But let me say, I am not surprised by all this. I'm not surprised by the emails, the tweets, and the podcasts saying it was an incomplete gospel or even that it was anti-gospel and anti-Jesus. Look, folks, 
we all know that evangelicals, myself included, are often trigger happy when it comes to publicly criticizing their brothers and, and sisters. Now, it's not that these folks who are making the criticisms are necessarily wrong, but it's that they often fail to see the bigger picture. They are focused, and that's the key word, they're focused in the wrong place. And that's important to keep in mind. Now then, if this ad had been overtly anti-biblical, we, we can't ignore that. Folks, especially if it's anti-biblical on one of the core doctrines of the faith. I think some of the implied theology by the ad seems a little off base, but the primary message of serving others was one of Jesus's core messages. Now, one very well-known, very sincere Christian pro pro uh, podcaster, a sister in Christ, Allie Beth Stuckey, she flatly said, quote, it does not actually depict the biblical Jesus, unquote. She alleged that the real message of the ad was Jesus came to affirm you. She said the ads seem like they are targeting conservative Christians. The ads are making fun of you. And then she said the ads gave her heebie-jeebies. Now, folks, she was simply saying what a lot of Christians felt. It felt like a cheap shot. Now, you may disagree with her, but don't dismiss her. But I think John Stone Street of the Colson Center, he, that he really, really nailed it when he summed up the message of the ad as this. Quote, he gets all of us who are tired of Christians imposing their morality on us. He gets all of us who think that Jesus is a great guy but don't like any Christians, unquote. In general, I think John seems to support that the, the he gets his campaign, what they're trying to, uh, trying to do. But he said this ad specifically was a miss. I disagree. I see it as a direct hit. Now then, I have high regard for John, I, and so I disagree with John kind of with a little bit of fear and trembling because I think he is a lucid thinker, and he does all of us, uh, us a favor every day that he's out there. But I think John regards his commercial as a miss because he forgot to ask one question. Who do you think the primary target audience of this ad is? Who do you think the primary target of this, uh, of this ad is? Is it Christians? Absolutely not. Unless their goal was to tick off a lot of allies in the cause of the gospel, their audience clearly was not Christians. I mean, that doesn't seem like, like a reasonable conclusion at all. If that was their audience, it was a complete miss. What about all non-Christians? If so, they alienated a lot of their audience, once again, like, like Muslims or Mormons or, or cultural Christians or highly moral atheists. Again, if that was their target audience, it was a complete miss. But how about kind of like John said, all non-Christians who like Jesus but dislike Christians? Folks, I think we're getting close now, but I think their target audience was even narrower. Here's who I think their target audience was. Here's who they were talking to. I think it was to Americans under the age of 30 or 35 who have a fairly positive view of Jesus but don't like conservative Christians. And frankly, that even, that even encompasses some younger Christians in the church today. But here is the key. These people are still young enough to be persuadable. I think this ad was primarily targeting the younger generations of adults in America. Let me ask you a question. Can you think of a young person you know or you've run across recently who this ad might, re might resonate with? Folks, I can. So John 
truly no disrespect, but I believe this ad was a direct hit. If, if you ask the question, who was their primary target audience? But folks, I think there is a second and a third question most Christians forget to ask as well. The second question is, what do you think the goal of this ad was? What was the goal? Was it an attempt to fully explain who Jesus is? Was it an attempt to fully explain uh, salvation and, and, and how you move there? Was it an attempt to explain the gospel? Definitely not. If it was, it was a complete miss. So what were they trying to do? Folks, it was a teaser, clearly. It was a teaser to draw people into a conversation about Jesus. It was bait. Just like you put bait on a fishing pole, that is what this was. It was an attempt to try to engage them in a conversation about Jesus. That was their goal. You know, in, in 1976, I was in high school. Uh, Campus Crusade for Christ did the, did the I Found It campaign. The first week, they, they had these billboards all over, over the city. They do it city by city. So they had billboards all over the city, and all they said were, I found it, nothing more. And, of course, for, for that week, then, of course, the conversation was, what are all these billboards that say, I found it? Well, the second week, they were changed to say, I found it. You can find it, too. Call such and such a number. Folks, all it was, it was a teaser. It was baited. Do not present the gospel on the billboard. But if they called the number, a trained volunteer from a local church would explain how they had found, that is, they found Jesus, and how the caller could find Jesus, too. Now, the teaser, it started a buzz around town, just like the Super Bowl ad did. It piqued curiosity. It created, and then it harnessed controversy. Folks, you need to understand, controversy is simply free advertising. That's all it is. And it started a national conversation because it commanded people's attention. Folks, as a result, hundreds of thousands of people became followers of Jesus, and most of them joined a local church as, well, as far as we can tell. Now, I see a lot of similarities between the He Gets Us ads, which is it's a teaser, it's bait, it's designed to drive people where? To the He Gets Us website. So here's the critical question. If someone goes to the He Gets Us website, what are they going to find? Have you been to the He Gets Us website? What do they say? Friend the center, very clearly, we are hoping to help people consider who Jesus is and why it matters. We are hoping to help people consider Jesus, who Jesus is and why it matters. That's their stated goal. Up front, no hidden agenda there. Now then a person who visits the website is going to find numerous invitations to begin a conversation with Jesus about Jesus at some level. There's a sign up or join us or, or connect button on almost every single page. And it almost always seems to funnel back to one question. Who is Jesus? Isn't that the primary conversation that we as believers really want to have with those who don't know Jesus? Folks, the, with the website, let me just talk about the website for just a moment. The website is very shrewdly designed to engage non-believers in conversation about who is Jesus and why does it matter. The website allows a person to start at any point in the conversation. Go, go to the website and look. You can start at any point in the conversation and then jump to another point in an almost seemingly random way. However, as you explore the website, you realize it keeps nudging you in one direction. What is that direction? It keeps asking you to engage in a conversation about who is Jesus. Now then, folks, I love that. But on the other hand, there were some other folks out there that said, I can do it better. Now, you know what, you know what my response to that is? 
great. Do it. And I mean that sincerely. We need you at the table too. I wish more Christians would say, I think I could do it better and then go out and try something. My problem is not with those folks. Not at all. I encourage them. My problem is with the, the many detractors who are quick to criticize, but then they don't offer any better alternatives. Now, let me tell you about one guy who said, I think I can do it better, and then he did it. His name is Jamie Bambrick. I don't know hardly anything about him, almost nothing at all, but he clearly thought he could do it better, so he created an online ad, an online commercial called He Saves Us. It's 60 seconds long. Folks, go to Google. Go Google it. It is masterful. It's not preachy. It doesn't verbalize overt truth statements, which really is a conversation killer for young people. It's not some old guy like me talking into a camera. It uses powerful visuals, just like the He Gets Us ads. It's masterfully done. It embodies, it clearly embodies Jesus' message to repent without ever saying the word repent. Folks, I don't think it'll reach the exact same audience as the He Gets Us folks, but I actually think that's a good thing. It broadens the audience we're able to reach. And I strongly encourage you go, go, to go and watch it. But here's what struck me. If the He Gets a Super Bowl ad had never been created, Jamie would have probably never have produced the He Saves Us ad. See, I think God knew it light a fire under Jamie to create another ad as a result, and we get two for the price of one. We reach, reach an even broader audience. I think God's cheering right now. So make sure you go watch the ad He Saves Us. It will be the best 60 seconds of your day today. But that leads me to the most critical question that every believer should ask in a, in, a, in a situation like this. Here's the question. How can I, how can I use this ad to advance the gospel? How can I use this ad to advance the gospel? So you're an ambassador of Christ. And so that should always be the question you're asking. Let me ask you, when you saw that he gets a Super Bowl ad, did you ask that question? Did you? That's the question the Apostle Paul asked in Corinth when he found an idol dedicated to the unknown God. Now, he could have stuck his finger in the air and said, shame on you, but he didn't. Instead, he asked, how can I use this as a platform to talk about Jesus? And he talked the entire Areopagus uh, in the city. Folks, if you don't know the story, go, go to the book of Acts and read chapter 17. Now, in situations like this, go ahead and make your critiques if you must. Go ahead. Fine, especially if you have helpful critiques about how to do it better. But folks, I am asking you to deliberately change your primary focus from did they do it right to how can I use this to start a conversation about Jesus? Did you hear anyone asking that question after the Super Bowl? I didn't. And folks, it breaks my heart. Because as followers of Jesus, that should be the first question we ask. Millions of people saw that he gets us ad. Many of your coworkers and neighbors saw it. Many of my neighbors saw it. So when you get the opportunity to ask them, did you see it? What did you think about it? Do you think Jesus gets you? What exactly does he get? Now, when you ask that question, listen carefully, because they're going to tell you a lot about who they are. And once you know who they are, you can better you can better shape a gospel presentation to, to them. And, and then ask them, you know, what is one question you would like to ask Jesus if you had the opportunity?
Well, folks, use the ad to get the Jesus conversation started. It should be a no-brainer for all of us who are followers of Jesus. Now, for instance, I took my wife to lunch last week, and we were chatting on and off with a couple on the, on the table beside us. And eventually, I, I asked if they had seen the Super Bowl. They had. A few questions later, I asked, did you see that he gets us at? Now, unfortunately, they had not. But it was an easy platform to begin the Jesus conversation from. So, folks, don't be one of those Christians who react. Please don't be one of those who react by finding fault with your brothers and sisters and, as a result, completely miss the opportunity right in front of you. Do not miss the opportunity right in front of you. Do your critiques if you need to, fine. But make sure you ask this question. How can I use this as a platform to talk about Jesus? Now, let me tell you three stories real quick, and they're about the power of keeping your focus on the main thing. And I learned them watching my dad as I was growing up during the growing up years. He started Campus Crusade for Christ, and I learned a lot of lessons from, from, from watching him. And they're directly related to what we're talking about. The first one was, it was the year really I was born, so I wasn't there to see it, but I heard about it in the, in the years afterward. My dad asked a man by the name of Jun Gun Kim, a Korean, to start a chapter of Campus Crusade for Christ in South Korea. They had become his friends in seminary, and Dad had been impressed with this man and impressed with this man's walk with God. After he did this, the American missionaries in South Korea lambasted my dad for putting a national in charge. They, 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 they were absolutely outraged. But, folks, it forever changed the way the American church did missions overseas. We began to see the power of putting nationals in charge. My dad was focused on the opportunity in front of him to start more conversations about Jesus. And putting a national in charge seemed like it would accelerate the process, and it did. And other mission groups started doing the same thing. Now, the second story is a story about a man named Andre Cole. Andre Cole was a magician who decided he wanted to do forsake everything to follow Jesus. And so he came to my dad in the 1960s, and he, and he asked him if he could join Campus Crusade for Christ and have a platform as a magician to present Christ. <laughs> now then, folks, Christians across the country reacted with venom. They weren't just uncomfortable. They didn't just have the heebie-jeebies. They were, they were livid. A magician presenting the gospel of Jesus. Even a lot of our own staff were skittish about it. But my dad said to Andre, come on. As a result, folks, millions of people around the globe have heard a very clear presentation of the gospel. Over the next 40 years, Andre traveled the world doing his illusion show, presenting Jesus Christ as the answer. Hundreds of thousands put their trust in Christ as a result. By the way, for those of you who care, Andre began calling himself an illusionist rather than a magician. But the point is this. My dad was focused on the opportunity in front of him to start more conversations about Jesus. The third story is this. In the early 1950s, my dad wrote an evangelistic presentation called God's Plan. It contained the distilled essence of the gospel, but it started with God's love rather than man's sin, and that was almost considered heresy back in those days. But you see, as my dad reflected on his life before Christ, he realized, as he, as he said, I was a happy pagan. I was a happy pagan. What attracted me to Christianity was Christ's love for me. In 1965, he turned that booklet in, into a little booklet called The Four Spiritual Laws. You might have heard of it. 
It started with, yes, God's love, not man's sin. You see, he realized that honey was more attractive to, to that vinegar, and so that's where he started the conversation. Today, there are over 2 billion of those booklets in print around the globe. You see, he was focused on the opportunity in front of him to start conversations about Jesus. Much like Jamie Bambrick, who created the ad, He Saves Us, in response to the He Gets Us ads, many more evangelicals' presentations were born because other folks thought they could do better than the four laws. Folks, let me be honest with you. I think Jesus was cheering that his body was actively asking the question, how can I better articulate the message of the good news? I think that makes Jesus cheer. But back to the point. Are there opportunities right in front of you that you've been missing because you are more focused on pulling up tares than the wheat? Have you been more focused on the problems than the opportunities? Folks, the He Gets Us campaign starts the conversation about Jesus in places where much of the culture finds compelling, even though I find them personally disturbing. You see, one of the newest cardinal rules of American culture is be kind. One of the, it's one of the ideals among young people today, even though they do a really, really lousy job of it. But that's what the visuals of the Super Bowl ad played, played to. It is, they played to be kind. The people who created the ad knew their audience and knew them well. Now, I've given you three questions you can ask yourself in any situation like that he gets a situation ad with the Super Bowl. You know, who do you think the primary audience is? What do you think the primary goal is? And how can I use this to make Jesus the issue? Folks, never forget that third question. It's the most important one of the three. Now then, before we close here, I want to give you a mirror that you can peer into that will help you quickly determine how to respond in any situation in the future. It's what I call the three R's mirror. That is three R's. Any situation you can roll over, you can react, or you can refrain. Three R's. Now, in the case of the Super Bowl ad, a lot of Christians rolled over, putting their heads in the sand, and they completely missed the opportunity. Other Christians reacted. They got the heebie-jeebies, so they were focused on trying to pull up the tears. They also missed a great opportunity. But others refrained by asking, how can I use this as a platform to present the gospel? And Jamie Brambrick, Bambrick, yeah, Jamie, I got that right. So Jamie Bambrick took it a step further, and he created a brilliant, brilliant presentation leading directly to the gospel. So here's my question for you. It's a simple question. In the future, are you going to roll over? Are you going to react? Or are you going to refrain? Are you going to roll over and stick your head in the sand? Are you going to react by focusing primarily on pulling up tares? Or are you going to refrain by primarily focusing on growing the wheat? This is what Jesus commanded us to do in Matthew 13. Folks, the He Gets Us campaign isn't perfect, but folks, it, it is a stroke of genius with a side of lunacy. They crafted a shrewd message for a generation who worships at the altar of be kind. Why did they do that? So they could start a conversation with them about Jesus. They took a big risk, a huge risk. They ventured outside the box in order to start that conversation. And folks, whenever you do that, there will always be some people who don't understand, and they will try to shoot you down, especially in the church. I'm sorry to even to have to say that. But that is why you have to be just a tad loony. You got to be willing to be shot at. May God give us many more loony Christians. 
God is the issue. So let's figure out how to make him the issue, even if it requires a side of loony. This is Brad Bright. Thanks for joining me today. And if you found this podcast helpful, please like, subscribe, or share. God bless.